God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Oh How Marvelous, episode 14, and today we will be talking about Ant-Man. Now, I don't remember at all my time seeing it in theaters. I probably did see it in theaters. It came out in July, the summer that I graduated from high school, so I was, I guess, I was transitioning in between high school and college during that time, and so I um, was probably too busy um, with that, um, I was also probably up at camp the weekend it premiered or whatnot. Um, so I do remember that I think I did see it in theaters though, but I I don't remember my theater experience with it. I it might have been several weeks after it had come out, so I was probably just alone in the theater or something like that. Um, again, my theater experience wasn't so significant enough to me to where I remember it, but. It is what it is, and so I'll just go with that. Um, but I do remember that um, it didn't live up to the hype for me. It was still a great movie. I, I really enjoyed the movie, um, but I don't think it lived up to the hype for me in the moment. Um, but I did watch it again last night, and I really enjoyed my time with it. Um if you're one of those people that likes to go through these movies or just casually watch a movie um, or maybe just wants to go through the MCU again, I would suggest you do so with subtitles because that could cause you to pick up on things that you might not have picked up on before, that you might not have noticed before. Um, and that's what I did last night. And so it's really helped me to uh, prepare for doing this episode today. So let's get into it. Now, Ant-Man is the last movie of Phase 2 of the MCU, so I am glad to say that once I have this episode posted for y'all, so when y'all are listening to this, I will be done with the Phase 2 parts of the MCU, and I am so glad. I cannot wait to get on to Phase 3, because that's when things get super interesting. Now, Phase 1 was interesting. Phase 2 was a little bit more interesting than that. In my opinion, arguably, it's debatable, really. But phase three, it, it's the most interesting bit of the Infinity Saga. So um, there's no argument there. Um, it, it's hands down. Um, so again, cannot wait to get into phase three with you guys. I will probably have a lot more thoughts to share with y'all, especially on the Captain America Civil War episode that I will probably go on forever that that episode will probably be two hours honestly um and i can't believe that i'll be able to go on that long <laughs> so yeah uh, but back to ant-man i i love this movie um as i said before so my favorite my favorites lists first of all um my favorite character was Scott Lang, of course, um, with honorable mention of Louise, because Louise is just hilarious and awesome. Um, Michael Pena plays the part very well. But I picked Scott Lang as my favorite character in this film because Paul Rudd is just awesome. Um, 
I think this is like the second thing I've seen him in. And the first thing was him as Mike in the show Friends. And he was great in that show. But I really enjoyed Paul Rudd as Scott Lang here. I think he was perfect casting for that role as well. Um, and yeah, I actually, a couple of years ago, I think it was, no, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, definitely after Endgame had come out, I think it was after the Infinity Saga had actually finished up, I watched this show on Netflix called Facing Yourself, and I only watched it because it was Paul Rudd, <laughs> and I actually really enjoyed it, um, it's about... Paul Rudd's character, unbeknownst to him, gets cloned, and so he has to figure out what's going on there, and, like, that is the only synopsis I can really give you without spoiling the details of it, so I suggest you go watch that on Netflix, Facing Yourself. Paul Rudd is just a fantastic actor. He can do serious, he can do hilarious, um, he can do a little bit of both. So yeah, I just really love Paul Rudd. I think he's a pretty cool person, too, anyway. Uh, I think he's pretty a down-to-earth guy. I'm pretty sure that, like, even as Scott Lang, Paul Rudd plays himself. Like, there are people that argue that Dwayne Johnson plays himself in every movie that he's in, which, honestly, is true. But, like, I think Paul Rudd is perfect for the role of Ant-Man because he's able to just be himself in the role. And I think that that is awesome. Same thing for RDJ. Like, like most of these actors, given that there are some exceptions, like I've heard recently actually that um, Nick Fury at some point was changed to be made after Samuel L. Jackson. And so I think when they asked Samuel L. Jackson if they could do that Samuel Jackson's like okay yeah but if you make a movie with me in with the character in it I want to play the guy I want to play Nick Fury and so at that point forward they um, modeled the character of Nick Fury after Samuel L. Jackson and that's why Samuel L. Jackson is so good as Nick Fury um but yeah that is my favorite character my favorite scene is um well first an honorable mention actually it's two honorable mentions i just took a look at my notes the first honorable mention is the scene where hank pym helps him break out of jail uh this is where the ants come in and bring the miniaturized suit and then they give the countdown and uh, I just love the visuals in this scene. You've got... I like how like the camera just follows along with the ants. And, uh, and I, I just love Scott's overall surprise in this scene. It's fantastic. Very well done. Uh, great cinematography. Great writing in this scene. The next honorary scene that I want to mention is the fight on the toy train scene. And I, I, again, I just love the visual effects. Um, very well written. I love that there's there's a couple shots where they just zoom out and you kind of just like get the perspective of Cassie just watching this fight take play. And it's fantastic because it's just like, this is a little miniature battle going on and it, it's fantastic. But my favorite scene here is when... Ant-Man fights Falcon. I think it's fantastic. Um, he realizes that Hank didn't know that this, the old Stark facility was made into the new Avengers facility. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. Um, and it shows Scott's courage and bravery. But like, I love this scene too because um, not only that, but it shows that Scott is combat ready to be an Avenger. Um, and he proves himself even more so in Civil War. I will get into that in the Civil War episode. But um, 
I especially love the move where he where he does the wrestling move and then uh, Hope uh, reacts kind of surprised and he, she's like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> didn't see that one coming." Which is the same move actually that she did to him earlier and he tapped out, but it, it was fantastic. Um, I I just loved the scene with Sam because it, it was a great organic way to bring. Scott Lang as Ant-Man into the Avengers' eye. And I love how Sam at the end is just kind of embarrassed that he um, was defeated at the end. And by a little Ant-Man. Like, really? <laughs> of course, there, there's no wonder he didn't want Cap to know about it. Um, so, yeah, that's my favorite scene. It, it's just fantastic. And so now, before I get to my favorite quotes, of course, you gotta have the list of honorable mentions so the first one comes from the actually opening scene where um pym walks in on the carson guy howard stark and peggy carter and uh an argument ensues and then uh of course the carson guy had to mention janet and then hank busted his nose and he walks away. Um, but, like, it comes to this point where Howard Stark says, He just kicked your butt full size. You really want to find out what it's like when you can't see him coming? Uh, I just love that line. Um, it really shows <laughs> how kind of smart Howard is in handling the situation. Um, now, this next quote comes from actually Scott Lang himself, where he's working at Baskin Robbins. And this dude, like, tries to order a burger, a hot dog, a pretzel. Like, he doesn't get the point of Baskin Robbins being an ice cream shop. And so he gets called to the back by his boss. And then what Scott Lang says here is, Hey, uh, could you take care of this idiot, please? Um, and he, he says it so fast that, like, the customer doesn't even notice that he called him an idiot. And I think it's fantastic. He, he's very subtle about it. Um, the next quote here um, actually comes from his boss. And then later on with uh, Michael Pena's character, Louise, where he says, Baskin Robbins always finds out. And um, <laughs> I, I just love the humor there. Uh, great line. Um, next one is Hank Pym comes back to... The S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. No, it's to Cross Industries. That's what it is. Cross Industries. And he sees that Carson guy. And Carson asks him how he is. And Hank responds with, how's your face? And <laughs> I love that. Uh, that was a great quip, man. Uh, and Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas just delivers this line so well. Um, the next quote comes from actually Scott Lang's ex-wife, um, and he shows up to Cassie's birthday party, and he's he's trying to be the dad that he's always wanted to be to Cassie, and that is a very honorable thing to strive for, most certainly. Um, but he. And his ex-wife end up talking on their porch. And Scott's like, man, I just want to be her father. I, I want to be in her life. And he's like, what do I do? Um, and then eventually the ex-wife says, just be the person she already thinks you are. And I love that because um, it kind of shows how blind Scott can be to um, what he is versus what he wants to be. Um, and so that kind of like really drives him to further be the man that he wants to be anyway. So this next quote <laughs> comes from Dave, I think his name is, um, where... The crew is brought in on the heist, and uh, 
basically, Hank Pym is like, you know, I let you break into my house, right? And then Dave's like, well, one could say, I let you let me. (laughs) I love his quip. And then, like, earlier in that scene, Hope's like, you know, he was arrested for stealing two smoothie machines, right? (laughs) Uh, And, uh, I just, the humor in this, the humor in this movie is just great. Peyton Reed, good job, sir. Um, did a great job directing it. Uh, two more quotes here. The first comes from Hank Pym, yet again, and he's talking to Darren Cross, and Darren's like, why, why did you kick me out? Um, and Hank Pym's is, like, uh, it's because I saw myself in you. And Darren's still kind of confused about it. And Hank's like, it's because I saw too much of myself. And I love that Hank is wise enough to look back at his own life and see the mistakes that he's made and to decide to actively grow from that. And I, I just love how wise Hank Pym is in this movie. This last honorable mention quote. Actually, that was the last honorable mention quote. My bad, y'all. I skipped ahead of my notes and then jumped back. But I also wanted to say that Louise, any line he has is like one of the most hilarious things ever. I just love Louise. He might end up being my favorite character of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I don't know. We'll see. But I definitely cannot wait to see more of Louise in the MCU. I, well, I was about to get into a thought, but I might actually get into that in the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode because it comes from that one and not from this one. So, yeah, just wait for that one to come out and we'll see what happens. Now, as for my favorite quote, because it just really highlights who Scott Lang really is um, and the excitement that he has in this moment. It's the scene right after his fight with Falcon. And he comes back and he actually gets the device that they were looking for. And, um, well, first of all, Hank and Hope are kind of disappointed in Scott. But then they see that he brought the device back and they're surprised. Um, And then once they kind of get over that, Scott says, Hey, how about the fact that I fought an Avenger and didn't die? And I love that Scott here is just so proud of himself. I, I'm proud of him too, honestly. Like, if I knew the combat skills of an ant, literally, um, <laughs> before I even found this suit, I and ended up fighting Avenger and winning? Like, yeah, I'd be proud of myself too. That is awesome. Um, but I love that there's... You, that you see some training that he undergoes with Hope there. So, um, yeah, I just love this. Scott's just so proud of himself for fighting an Avenger and winning. Now, actually, I'm going to go into my dislikes before I give a list of the rest of the things that I liked. Because I certainly don't want to end this portion on a low note. So, my dislikes for this is that Yellow Jacket is such an on-the-nose name for a villain. Like, if you heard the name Yellow Jacket, would you think villain or hero? Definitely villain. Um, it, it just seems way too on-the-nose for a villain, but I get that it comes from the comic, so cool. Next one. Who parties in the middle of the day? You clearly see that Scott Lang is coming to this apartment in the middle of the day to try this suit on for the first time. And on top of that question, how soundproof is this average-looking apartment building that none of the neighbors hear this party going on? None of the stomping of feet on the floor heard from the neighbor below. None of the music heard from either side. Um, yeah, who parties in the middle of the day? And why are the cracks in the floor so big? Like, what? Now, I did... What I did like about that scene... um, We'll actually get into that later. Because I think I wrote that down in my likes. So, 
But yeah, who parties in the middle of the day? And who doesn't notice their neighbors partying in the middle of the day? Um, also, I think it's sunny when he starts in there. And then by the time he's outside, it's raining. So, I mean, I get that weather can change in a matter of a second. But, like, it just seems off. Um, plus, I've never been to San Francisco. So, I don't know if the weather changes just like that there. I don't know. Those of you who live out in California or whatever, please let me know uh, how off or on it might be with what's going on in real life in San Francisco. Now, the things that I loved about this movie. First of all, in the first scene, they had a D.H. Michael Douglas here. But they also had to age Haley Atwell. And I loved the way they did it. They, they did it so well. They de-aged Michael Douglas well. And they aged Haley Atwell well. <laughs> Atwell well. <laughs> but I, I think they did a great job with the aging stuff on this movie. The next one is the presence of Hydra. I love that Hydra's there. Um... It seems that nothing came of them except for later on in Civil War. And like even now at this point in the MCU that we're living in right now, Hydra is still at large. It might not be as active as it was leading up to the Winter Soldier. But Hydra is still at large. And we never got to see that resolved. Maybe we'll see it resolved in Secret Wars, Armor Wars, or whatever. But I... Cannot wait to see that happen because I, I think it'd be really interesting to see Hydra at play within the greater conflict to come here within the MCU. Now, I've mentioned before that the casting is spot on, and I'll say it again spot on casting, especially with all these main characters. I, Michael Pena, Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas. Evangeline Lilly, they all do just a great job in their role. Even the girl who plays Cassie. She, she's going to be a great actress someday growing up. She's already great. Um, but I love every person in their role. They're perfect. They do their jobs well. They do their roles well. Um, especially Kurt. I love Kurt. Um, even more so in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but we'll get there. The next thing is I love Scott's familial relationships. Just because he committed a crime, his wife doesn't completely throw him away from the family. She does what's best for her daughter, and she allows Scott, so long as he decides to become a better person, to be the father that he always wanted to be. I love that there's no resentment going on, and you see that kind of growth and happen. And you see the growth that happens as a result during Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I love it. Um, there's that tension at first between Scott and Paxton, but like, I love that they're not enemies. They're just, yeah, they're just not enemies. They are kind of like adversaries, but then they end up seeing eye to eye, and I love that. Also, I love that Scott really wants to be a good dad, and I love that Cassie just loves him so well, um, and that causes him to strive to be a better person. He counts down the days until he might be able to see her again, and I, I love seeing that process happen, and his love for his daughter driving him to do what he does in this film. I loved the soundtrack in this. Um, the music was pretty good. Both the classic rock or whatever, the, the lyrical and the orchestral pieces are great. I love it. I love the Ant-Man theme. It's fantastic. And I will give you all the sound off from this episode with the Ant-Man theme. So, yeah, you'll get to be able to hear that. Actually, like the reason that I really love the Ant-Man theme here is partially because I'm sort of biased towards low brass sound. Somewhere between middle school and high school, 
which is the summer that Captain America, the first Avenger came out. I had been in middle school um, learning trumpet, but it was at this time that I learned trombone. I am a band geek, yes, as you may be able to tell by now. But a little quick story here. When I was getting ready to be in sixth grade, I my school had this like night to where all the upcoming sixth graders could come to the school, figure out where the classes are, yada, yada, yada. And so, of course, I wanted to be in band just like my older siblings were. I'm glad I did because I love music. I love making it. Um, I love playing music. It's awesome. But during this opening night thing, the band director asked me what instrument I'd like to play, and I said trombone. But I was such a runt back then that he was like, well, let's see um, if we could get you started on trumpet. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. That's cool. I am glad I did start on trumpet. That's cool because I enjoyed playing trumpet. Um, played trumpet all through high school too in marching band, and I really enjoyed doing that. It allowed me to have some solos as well. But during that summer between middle school and high school, I learned trombone finally, um, which is the trombone, which is the instrument that I had originally told you I wanted to play, right? And so, I learned the trombone that summer and I loved it. I, from then on, I played, well, not from then on, I think junior year and senior year, I played trombone in the jazz band in high school and then I played euphonium in college in the concert band and trombone in the jazz band at that time. But my senior year of high school, I had some of the most fun playing bass trombone in jazz band. And so hearing those low brass hits in the Ant-Man theme here is awesome to me. I would love as a low brass player to play this theme. And I, first of all, my MCU nerd, my my inside MCU nerd would geek out just hearing the thing. But to be able to play it would be so much better. But anyway, I digress. Here's a thought that I had. And I might be way off here. And there might be some of you who might be thinking the same thing. I think that the Ant-Man helmet reminds me of Ultron. And it's kind of eerie and fitting kind of at the same time. That we get Age of Ultron. And directly after that is Ant-Man. And the Ant-Man helmet just looks like Ultron's face to me. It kind of reminds me of that. It's like a variant kind of thing, you know? But, yeah. It's kind of like the same variance between the Spider-Man masks. Um, like, they're similar. They remind you of the others. But they're not the same, you know? Also, I really loved the scene where... <laughs> it's in that scene that I was talking about the party where I was complaining about the noise and why are there cracks so big in the house, in the apartment building. But I love the moment where Scott runs into this mouse nest thing. And I love how they make the mouse sound like he's barking because I'm sure that to someone that small it would sound like that. So the science sort of kind of checks out, I guess. But um, I, I just love... You have that little bit where the mouse is chasing the ant, I guess. Um, but yeah, I love that. The next thing, I have a thought. Another thought, yes. Um, in passing, Darren Cross mentions how it's um, a great feat to have broken into a Avengers facility successfully. And my thought is, who told him that that happened? How did he know about Scott Lang in the first place? Like, what is going on here? Who are his spies? And at this point, you basically know that he was Hydra anyway. Who, who, who's his spy on the inside? Who is his spy on the inside? I don't think that was ever answered. It might have been that Carson guy, probably. 
but uh, I don't know. That's just a question that I've had that I don't think I've got the answer to ever since this movie even came out. So, yeah, who who's the spy on the inside for Darren Cross? And finally, the last thing of note that I enjoyed about this movie comes at the very end where Darren Cross is finally defeated and Cassie is hugging Paxton. And you see her looking over his shoulder then you see the shadow of little Ant-Man waving and he jumps off. And I love that it just kind of, it reminds me of Peter Pan, honestly. So I just love that little nod Peter Pan there. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the a little Peter Pan and Wendy moment. I love that. Um, plus Scott Lang, does he ever grow up? Well, yeah, he kind of does, but this isn't Neverland. Anyways, I, I just love the scene. Um, it was a nice little touch there at the end. And now, as for the Stanley cameo, I gave it a 6.5. Now, I would have given it maybe like a four and a half or something if it weren't for the fact that it was in the middle of a Louise story. I loved that he mouthed the words that he was saying, that he actually said, that his character actually said in there. But it was Louise telling the story, so of course you get Louise's voice over his mouthing. And so I, I loved that it was a nice touch there. Um, it was a great combination of Louise and Stanley. So I might have actually probably would have originally given it a five, but the comedic touch there was perfect. So I added a point and a half for that. So I gave the Stanley cameo a six and a half. And I think that once I'm done with the Infinity Saga, um, and given the unfortunate circumstance that Stanley himself did pass away and there's no longer any more cameos, I think I'm going to create an episode once I'm done with the Infinity Saga review um, where I give both my movie rankings and ratings. And then I will give my Stan Lee rankings and ratings and recap that. And so we'll see what happens there. I might not do that. I might put that at the end of the Far From Home episode. I don't know. So we'll see what happens there. I think that does it for my overall thoughts on the film. And now I think it's time for us to move on to the devotional piece. It reads... In Ant-Man, Hank Pym and his daughter, Hope Van Dyne, struggle to find a way to stop Hank's former mentee, Darren Cross, from stealing Hank's idea for a formula and suit to decrease the distance between molecules, parentheses, shrinking powers. Hope wants to be the one to use the suit to infiltrate Pym Technologies, the company formerly owned by Hank and now owned by Darren. Hank doesn't want her to be the one to do so, and it's pretty clear to Hope that his reasoning for that decision is connected to her mother's seeming death, which he never told her about. The continuous act of Hank's withholding this information from his daughter gives her some resentment towards him. They end up finding Scott Lang for the job, but this doesn't cause any of her resentment to even subside. Resentment is only a hindrance to relationships. There is no growing closer to one another with resentment only growing apart. King Saul, upon hearing that Samuel anointed David to be king after him, immediately had resentment towards him. David first met Saul just before slaying Goliath and has since become the musician who would play the heart for Saul upon his bidding. David was also best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Once he got news of David's anointing, Saul sought ways to kill David because of his ever-increasing resentment towards him. Every time he attempted to kill David, he failed. However, when David had many opportunities to kill Saul, he had mercy on him instead. Saul's resentment caused him to be a horrible king for Israel, but David's mercy is what helped make him such a great one. This story can be found in the latter half of the book of 1 Samuel. It wasn't until Hank told Hope the story of her mother's seeming death and the fact that he blames himself for it that Hope's resentment turned into understanding and bonding with her father. They resolved their issues, but Saul and David did not. Resentment only leads down a dark path until clear communication leads to understanding and an even closer relationship. Is there anyone that has resentment towards you? Will you seek to come to an understanding of why they do? 
how will you do so? Will you be open and honest with them about the situation? Will you forgive them? Do you hold any resentment towards someone else? Will you seek to give them clarity as to the reasoning for it? How will you do so? Will you ask for their forgiveness? You know, I've stated before on this podcast that forgiveness is not for the person who is being forgiven, but the one who gives forgiveness. Because it releases that resentment. And I don't think I've even brought up the topic of resentment before. But it does release that resentment. Now, I referenced the resentment between Saul and David on Saul's part um, because David doesn't really have any resentment towards Saul. He has mercy on him. Um, He might even have some empathy for him. But uh, I've mentioned on this podcast before that story, and I've actually read that story aloud. I think it comes from the 24th and 26th chapters of 1 Samuel. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I did I think I did read the stories from the scriptures there in the Iron Man episode. So refer back to those if you want to hear it read out loud or use your Bible app. I know the YouVersion app has a feature where in some versions of the scriptures you can have it. It's like an audio book where you can just press play and it'll read it out loud for you if that's the way you would like to take that in. But... Yes, I do talk about that more in depth in the Iron Man episode. Um, but resentment itself, in a way, it's it finds its own roots in pride, right? It feeds into a person's um, high sense of oneself. Um, they think that they're in the right. They think that they are correct on the matter, and so therefore they have feel the need to act on that felt correctedness, or correctness, really. And so that brings forth resentment towards those who disagree. Um, they're not open to hearing them out on what the other people's perspective is on the matter. Um, and so I think... One thing that can help with combating resentment is coming to a place of understanding first that, hey, I'm not the only person on the planet. My perspective is not the only one. Um, Now, God and his truth certainly prevails, but we shouldn't be the ones to seek to avenge for God or fight for the truth of the word or even fight for what truth we might perceive to be. But we should let the Lord, in his timing, reveal his truths to those who he has created in his own image. And so, let's not be resentful. Let us seek to love one another. Um, Reminds me again of John 8, where Jesus could have resented the woman who was caught in adultery, but he instead had mercy on her. Grace, um, he saw that she was um, regretful of her decision, but in that he told her to go sin no more, and he combated. He actually alleviated the situation there. The resentment just subsided, at least. If you look at the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament, I'm thinking more specifically of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They brought forth the word of God. They brought forth God's truth out of obedience from God's direct commands to them, to the people of Israel. And they were mocked for it. Um, They came many times close to death for speaking God's truth and delivering the Lord's messages to them. Um, There was certainly a lot of resentment from the people for them. Um, But they took it They took it on with grace. They took it on with mercy. Um, They didn't decide to fight back. They knew that the Lord would prevail in the end, even if it wasn't in their own lifetime. He knew that the Lord would, um, he would hold them fast. Um, He would hold them steady. 
Um, and they were leaning on his promises as they had known in the scriptures of their time, which was basically the Pentateuch at that moment. Um, and the psalm, some of the Psalms. But one thing of note here is that they did not hold any resentment towards those who first had resentment towards them. They had grace and mercy. They didn't retaliate. They decided to lean on the Lord's sovereignty and power and his wisdom ultimately they took on their resentment of the people for the sake of the Lord and I think we can all learn something of grace towards resentment from the Old Testament prophets and especially from Jesus of course Um, because especially when Jesus says on the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think that should a lot of times be our prayer for those that might not necessarily see eye to eye with us. So let's exercise grace and mercy at all times towards those who hold resentment towards us. And even in the moments where we decide or we even see that little inkling of resentment in our own hearts come about, that we decide to choose grace, mercy, and love for those people, that we decide to step outside of ourselves and see things from other people's views. Um, And first of all, to see things through God's eyes, um, let's not allow other people's experience to form our own opinion, but let's look at the eyes of God. Let's look at things through the eyes of God first. First and foremost, first of all, So grant grace and peace and love and mercy to all people at all times. So I have a few more biblical themes here that have presented themselves in this movie. Of course, I didn't get them all. As always, I am only human. So first up, um, we see that Scott Lang is in prison for doing a crime Um, motivated by wanting to be able to provide for his daughter Cassie. He does the wrong thing for the right reason. Um, This reminds me a lot of tax collectors. Um, What they're doing is lawful, but is it moral? No. Um, I think of Matthew and Zacchaeus. They were both tax collectors um, and... They both came to a point where they realized what they were doing was wrong. And Matthew decided to follow Jesus as a disciple. Zacchaeus decided to allow Jesus to come to his house for dinner. And he decided that he said that he would pay back what he has stolen fourfold from each person that he had stolen tax money from. The story of Zacchaeus is found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. In the English Standard Version, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, he being Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The story of the disciple and formerly tax collector Matthew is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, starting at verse 9. It reads, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were 
reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now something interesting of note here is that in these instances, it wasn't these tax collectors, Matthew and Zacchaeus, that decided to follow Jesus. Sure, they might have been curious about who Jesus was or what he was about or what not, something surrounding Jesus, but it was Jesus who called upon them. He saw them where they were. He knew who they were. He knew that tax collectors were people who were frowned upon in this society because people generally knew that tax collectors collected too much from people. They were thieves, really. Um, they were greedy with wanting to get more money out of people than what they should have. Um, but Jesus has mercy on them, and he calls upon them by name. And so something I think to take away from this for all of us is that Jesus sees who we are, um, the sinners that we are. And he decides that he wants to have a loving relationship with us anyway. He sees our sin, but he also sees that we are his creation. Um, we bear forth his image into the world. And uh, I think the life of Paul kind of reflects this as well. He was like the worst of sinners within the Bible. And yet God called him to a higher purpose anyway. And yet he, and in that process, he had a great life of ministering all over the globe, um, mainly around Europe, yes, um, and Asia. But God brought forth him for a glorious purpose, so to speak. And because of this, we now have half of the New Testament that we do. We have all these letters to the Corinthian church, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all these other letters where we get a lot of our theology as Christians from. And if it isn't for the power of redemption, um, which, by the way, redemption as a theme comes up here as well within this movie. Um, Scott has his own desire for redemption. Um, Hank Pym even mentions that he believes that all people deserve redemption. And so he kind of gives Scott that chance at redemption. And so this is why redemption is important because we are all sinners. We all need to be redeemed. And that is why Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us, because we could not redeem ourselves. But he being God, and who was a sinless man, could. So going back to redemption, if God can redeem Paul, Saul, um, from his sin, and use him for great things, he can use you too. And this is something that I meant to mention in the Age of Ultron episode, but I think it fits well here too. Um, if it's well anywhere, really, but um, yeah, think about all that Saul had done before he went on the road to Damascus and had this encounter with Jesus. Um, he was persecuting Christians. He approved of the stoning of Stephen. He was holding people's coats while they were doing it, by the way. Um, he persecutes Christians. He jails them he kills them he thinks he's doing the lord's work and that is a very dangerous thing when someone is not actually doing the lord's work but they think they are but he thinks he's doing the lord's work and then he has this experience with the lord on the road to damascus and he then realizes the great error of his ways and then the lord redeems him out of this now it takes some time for this to happen because he is in um, 
he is blinded for three days. And then Ananias, by the Lord's um, command, goes and heals him by the power of God from his blindness. The scales are lifted from Paul's eyes. And then after that, he is baptized by Ananias. And he goes to meet the disciples. And of course, they're very cautious about him. But um, they kind of vet him. And afterwards, they come to realize that he's had a real encounter with Jesus and rejoice in that fact. And so that being said, the road to redemption isn't going to be easy. It's it's going to be long. People are not... There are going to be some people who just never believe you. Um, there are going to be some people who embrace you with open arms, um, like the father to the prodigal son. Um, so yeah, Paul is redeemed through the power of God, um, especially to the disciples and his friendship with the disciples, um, greatly increases his reputation amongst the Christian community. Now, there are still those who hold resentment towards him. Of course, their loved ones were victim to his previous sin, but God can redeem Paul. He can redeem you too. If God can use a man who murdered his own people because he thought he was doing the right thing, if he can turn that man into someone who preaches the gospel greatly, one of the greatest evangelists ever, if he can do that for Paul, he can imagine what he can do for you. He loves you. He wants to see you come to know him. You are not too far gone. I know that I, if you were here today, and no matter what you've done, what you think, I would still embrace you, at least, at the very least, as another human being. And I think that God, even knowing what all you've done, Imagine imagine the great love that God has for you, knowing all the sins that you've committed, but he still loves you anyway. He knows the depths of your heart, the depths of your thoughts. There is no thought that you can have that can escape his knowledge, but there is forgiveness for all of that. So please seek the Lord for redemption. Because in the light of eternity, there's no person whose opinion matters more than God's. In fact, God's opinion is the only one that does matter. There's not your your best friend's opinion doesn't matter. Your own opinion doesn't matter of yourself. Your mom's opinion, your dad's opinion, that doesn't matter. What matters is what God sees you as. It, it, what matters is how God sees you. And he sees you as his creation which he loves. And if you come to believe in his son as your savior and sacrificial lamb, which I will get into sacrificial lamb in a second here too, but if you see him as your sacrificial lamb and savior, you can be a child of God too. Um, scripture tells us that once we join the church as the body of believers, we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs to the throne of glory. Now, do we ever get to sit on the throne of glory? No, but it's to show that God treats us as his own child, son and daughter. And I think that is a very beautiful thing that we are adopted into the family of God once we receive, once we believe the Lord as our Savior. Now, I just mentioned that I would talk about this sacrificial lamb thing. So there's a moment in this film where Darren Cross um, uses a actual lamb as an organic test for his particles. He, he tells Hope that you can't go to the buyers with half a breakthrough with inorganic materials. Um, has to test the thing on organic materials as well. And so... Um, he basically 
tries to shrink the lamb, but it turns into just a glob. And I think in this situation, it's quite fitting that his name is Cross, and he sacrifices a lamb. It's quite a direct metaphor right here, right? There is a sacrificial lamb on the cross, right? But this metaphor is obviously twisted from the original thing because the lamb is sacrificed for evil purposes, obviously here. But I've talked numerous, numerous times on this podcast, I think on every episode so far, about how Jesus died on the cross for us. So I'm going to try not to repeat myself, but again, it cannot be emphasized enough. He is our Savior, our Lord. And I just talked about it too, um, just before getting into this little bit. Now, the last biblical theme that I want to talk about here comes from that scene where Hank Pym tells Cross that he saw too much of himself in Cross. And in this scene here, Darren Cross does not heed to Pym's wisdom. I think I hearken back to in a, the Avengers where Loki says, look to your elders, people. Um, and then it's kind of funny that their elder-ish Captain America comes in in that scene. But that's in the Avengers. Anyways, um, so to look to your elders, there's a lot of wisdom within Psalms and Proverbs that tells us to look to our elders. Job 12.12 tells us that wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. In 1 Kings, it talks about Solomon seeks the wisdom of older men in order to make important decisions for ruling the kingdom of Israel. Um, And, of course, we know that Solomon is known as the wisest king in Israel's history. In fact, his wisdom was so well known that there would be rulers from surrounding kingdoms that would come to him for his wisdom. Rulers from all over the world, really. And they would give him gifts because he was so wise. And so I think it's interesting that the wisest king in the history of Israel would seek wisdom from older men. And so Darren Cross here does not heed to the wisdom of the older man, his mentor, well, his former mentor, and he just didn't heed his advice, and so that led to his downfall. Um, Scripture says, and he was pretty being pretty prideful too, right? And so Scripture says that pride is a haughty spirit before the fall, um, and we certainly see that happen to Darren Cross here in this film. And so I think this is a great time to reflect on how you feel about yourself or your opinions. Um, let them be filtered through scripture because we don't want to be prideful of how we feel about ourselves, the world around us, whatever. Um, Paul tells us in Second Corinthians that if I should boast in anything, it should be in my weaknesses. If I should boast in anything, it should be in the kingdom accomplishments of other people, of building the kingdom. Um, He never talks about boasting of his own success. Never talks about boasting of himself as a person. Because when we start boasting of ourselves as a people, as individuals, that's when we know we have pride. And that is a great tell of our destruction is going to come to us in some way, shape, or form. So I think that does it for all the biblical themes within this movie. Again, if you would like to join the Discord where we can discuss God, Marvel, comics, whatever, give prayer requests, um, please feel free to send me an email at mcudevos at gmail.com. That is mcudevos at gmail.com. And I will send you the invite link there, and you could join us as we discuss further the topic at hand. Um, God stuff, Marvel stuff, comic stuff, nerd stuff, anything there in between and without. Um, 
can't wait to see you there. Um, I think that does it for Ant-Man, and that does it for Phase 2 of Marvel. I cannot wait to get into Phase 3. I'll see you next time where we open up Phase 3 with Captain America Civil War on Oh How Marvelous. Marvelous.